evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. Today we're back. Gutra Nikaya Book of Threes. We're going on to Sutta number 30. Avakujja. Avakujja Sutta. Ava means uh, upside down or down. Kujja, I think, means flipped or something. Avakujja means upside down or flipped over, bent over. Does kujja mean? Kujja means bent, ava down. So the Buddha says there are three types of people in the world. The first one is avakujja panyo. One with wisdom that's upside down. The second one is Uchanga Panyo, one whose wisdom, who has lap wisdom, lap, the lap. Some of you, I hope, remember me talking about the person with lap wisdom. Uh, and the third one is Putu Panyo. And Putu, I'm trying to get a sense of Putu, but I think here it means wide open. Wide open wisdom. Abukudja panyo pungalo, uchanga panyo pungalo, putu putu panyo pungalo. Putu is the same word as putujana, for those of you who know Pali and know the word. Putujana is a, a person who is um, diversified. It's a bad word, it's a pejorative. Putujana means, not exactly pejorative, but it means someone who is. Um, outside of, of spiritual practice. Putu meaning here um, away, far and away, or, or other than uh, a spiritual practitioner, a Buddhist. A putujana is someone who is not um, interested in or, or accomplished in the Dhamma. It's an ordinary worldling. Ordinary putu can also mean ordinary. Here it means it's a good thing. It means open, wide open, broad. And so he's relating these actually to... He's relating the first and the third one to pots. But here's the idea is that you have a pot. If you have a pot that's upside down, an overturned pot, and then you try and pour water into the pot, what happens? water and doesn't get in the pot uh, if you if on the other hand you have a pot that's wide open putu wide broad pot and then it rains or the water comes down the pot will become full of water lap wisdom if a person is sitting on their sitting uh, cross-legged and they put some rice, like suppose they're a merchant or something, and they have the cloth, and they put rice, and or maybe they're eating, or I don't know, they're, maybe they're sorting out grains, or they have rice or sesame or beans or something uh, on their lap. And then suddenly they, have, they remember they have to do something, and they get up. What happens? All the grains or rice or, or, or beans fly everywhere. Three types of people, three three similes that the Buddha gives. So how does this relate to wisdom? One type of person, when they hear spiritual teachings, uh, when they see people practicing, when they're admonished or instructed, when they ask questions and receive answers, they don't absorb any of it. They don't listen, they don't pay attention, they don't... Uh, take it in this is a person like an overturned pot you can teach them however much you want they're like a spoon in the soup that doesn't taste the flavor never will never can well they they don't they could if they changed they could if they were to open their their hearts and their minds turn the pot back up right so you can they'll sit there and listen to the dhamma listen to a teaching Maybe they'll go on YouTube and, watch and, and 
turn on YouTube videos by Buddhist monks or meditators teaching good things. But they won't listen and they won't pay attention and they, they, don't, they don't even consider what's being taught. Some people do this to, in, in Buddhist countries, they'll just go and listen to a talk. Or in Sri Lanka, they even just turn on the radio and they just leave it on and they go about their business. You know, and if people are listening to a talk, maybe they look around at everybody else or they start thinking about work or family or plans or past or future. And they don't pay attention and they don't take it in. Maybe they even listen, but they don't. Maybe they, some people have lots of doubts about what they hear and they just think about it and don't ever, uh, don't ever take it seriously or take it as, as a thing worth practicing. It's the first type of person, like an upside-down pot, some of the upside-down wisdom, avokujapanyo, pungkulo. Uchanga panyo, what is it? Uchanga means lap. Ucha. Ucha, I think, means... What is Ucha? No, I don't know. Ucha-hati. No. Uchangam just means the lap, or the hips. But here it means the lap. So some people are, are like this person who has sesame seeds or rice or beans on their lap. And then when they stand up, they lose it all. So some people, and this is actually this actually happens. Some people will listen attentively and consider what's being said, and maybe even enjoy it, maybe even appreciate it, maybe even uh, accept it as true, and, and think of it with joy and and ex appreciation. And when it's finished, they'll they'll rejoice and they'll um, they will compliment the teacher, and they will express their appreciation, their gratitude, and their faith in the teaching. But then they get up, and they leave it behind. And they get up, and it flies everywhere. It flies away. And they go back to their lives and don't put anything into practice. And they don't try and cultivate morality. They don't try and cultivate concentration. They don't try and cultivate wisdom. Is like a person with lap wisdom. The third type of person is a person with wide open wisdom, like a pot with a wide open uh, lip. What is it called? Brim? Wide open top. And so this is a person who goes to the monastery and listens to the Dhamma, or goes to YouTube and listens to the Dhamma and, and pays attention. They teach him the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. It means it's got morality, it teaches right morality, it teaches right concentration, and it teaches right wisdom. With right meaning and right phrasing, satang sambayanjanang, the perfectly pure holy life. They reveal the perfectly complete and pure spiritual life. While sitting, they attend, this person attends to the talk at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. They're attentive. They pay attention. They don't check Facebook while they're watching, while they're listening to the Dhamma. And they take it seriously. They don't eat, they don't smoke, they don't talk to other people, they don't fidget. They listen attentively. And after they've risen, after they've risen, they again attend to it. And they attend to it. Um, they attend to the beginning of the talk, the middle of the talk, and the end of the talk. They attend to everything that was said. They remember it, they keep it in mind, and they apply it in their life. And they apply the good that they have taken out. Just as when a pot is kept upright, the water that has been poured into it stays there, does not run off. The water does not run off. It stays in the pot because the pot is upright. That's, what, that's how pots work. Well, the mind works the same. It only stays there if you keep it there. It only stays there if your mind is fixed and focused and clear and receptive. 
receptive is probably the best word. If you don't have mindfulness and clarity, if you're not focused and appreciative and sincere, you can't keep it. It will just run off like water. Those are the three types of people that exist in the world. A rather, rather brief teaching, but one I thought that was interesting. The point is that you can listen to the teaching as much as you want, you can think about it, talk about it, ask questions about it. But the most important thing, of course, is that you actually try it, and practice it. You actually undertake it. This isn't, um, this isn't like anything else. It's more like a training than a religion. It's more like a physical therapy or training than a religion. Just as with physical training, you have to work, you have to do meditation, well, you have to work, you have to do. It's not about belief or acceptance. It's not about uh, listening or attending. It's about doing being, acting, becoming. I was, uh, there's someone on Facebook who's been trying to get in touch with me and normally I don't, I don't respond to people because there's just too many and a lot of people contact me with things that are not really related to meditation. But if anyone like writes to me about anxiety or depression I'm more inclined to, you know, if it sounds sincere, like they have a sincere issue, I'm more inclined to write back, write back or talk to them or whatever. Um, so this one I actually wrote back, and then uh, they were asking for help. Um, and I said, well, have you read my booklet? That might help. And they replied with something like, um, well, can't you give me something more specific or... Isn't there something more than that that you can give me? And I said, well, have you read it? <laughs> and they said, not yet. <laughs> so I said, well that, well, that would be a good start. I mean, it, it was funny because it, it's kind of like, like they're looking for a magic pill or something. Uh, they, they want me to fix their problems and they don't want to actually um, invest in you know, reading a book, why, why, you know, I don't, do I really have to read your booklet kind of thing? I don't know, I mean, I'm not really to, to I'm not making fun of this person, but um, it's not like I'm trying to talk behind their back, maybe they're listening, but you have to, uh, you have to do the work, you know, that is not something you can just take a pill and you're cured. So, yeah, you do have to do things like reading a booklet on how to meditate and actually start to meditate. Don't come and ask me questions if you're not actually, if you haven't read my booklet and started to meditate. Because I don't know what I'll tell you. I don't know what I'd tell you. There's not much good I can do for you. Anyway, I just, that was an interesting thing. I guess I'm too. Too critical of people, huh? Oh, well. Isn't there a saying about, you know, the Buddhas just point the way? You yourself has to do the work? Something along Something like that. The Tagada is just someone who points. You have to do the work. It's funny, I mean, it, people expect a lot from people like me, it seems. That's a feeling of, not everyone, but some people expect me to solve their problems. I can't do it, I can't. I, there's, it's not, no one can, the Buddha can. No one can solve your problem. Don't expect answers from me. I'll show you the way. Read my book. Yeah, do it. Do do a week's worth of meditation, then come back and ask your questions. I guarantee you'll have fewer questions, better questions. Though. 
No, I think we've got a really good group here. I don't say it enough, but I really, really much, very much appreciate all the people who come out and meditate and join us. And I know people come and go, and sometimes people do get fed up with me, and well, that's okay. I'm not looking for students or, or I'm not looking for support or money or anything. It'd be nice if there was enough people to keep me alive, but dying would be interesting as well. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it, it's um, I, I appreciate that you all are taking the time and, and interest in doing something that's quite difficult to do. It isn't easy. It's something you have to work at. Something you have to spend time and uh, potentially a long period of time working at. So I appreciate everyone. Sometimes I make fun and poke fun. Please don't take it too seriously. I'm, uh, I, I grew up in the forest, not very good with people. Your people skills could use some work, I think. Anyway, enough about that. Questions? We have questions, Bhante. Mm -hmm. How do incense sticks work for keeping time for advanced meditators? If the med meditator is in a jhanic state, the mind probably wouldn't focus on smells. It's interesting. It never even occurred to me that that's why they do it. I thought they would actually open their eyes to see if the incense had burnt down. But you're right, of course, you can actually smell the incense. How dumb am I? If I it, it just, I thought, oh, incense, okay, so you watch it or something. No, you actually, I guess you smell it. We're not practicing for the jhanas, though. And if you enter into the jhanas, well, there's no more meditating. Jhanas, a jhanic absorption is a fruition. It's the fruit of the practice. So, um, you know, if you can get into jhana, well, don't. There, there's other ways. With jhana, you actually, your, your mind is so pure that you uh, you can set a time. Maybe not in the beginning, but you can work at it, and you can set a time. May I enter into the jhana for 30 minutes, an hour, a day, seven days, that kind of thing. And uh, you get pretty good at it. Apparently, it's quite easy to come in and out exactly at the time. Something you have to work at. It's, this is called uh, Visaya. Visaya means uh, mastery or something like that. Skilled, skill, attaining skill. So you don't just enter into the jhana, but you're able to enter into it quickly. You're able to stay in it for a long time. You're able to stay in it for a, a specific period of time. And and so on. There's like five different kinds of mastery. Bonte, the next question is actually one um, for me. Actually, hmm. um, one of the meditators was interested in donating to the the um, online online campaign we have for the McMaster University meal card and they're getting mm -hmm. errors that the payment can't be processed and to try again later. Um, this is kind of a complicated issue with, with PayPal. Um, PayPal is our payment processor for our online campaigns and they have some very kind of difficult um, functionality. I believe if you have a PayPal account but you're trying to pay just with a credit card instead of actually using your PayPal account, you get that sort of a message. That's just what we sort of figured out amongst our group, different people trying to um, make payments without actually using their PayPal account. So I apologize for the, the limitations on that. It's, um, it's actually quite difficult to find a good payment processor that doesn't take a lot um, of the, the donations. So that's kind of what we're stuck with. So um, if you do have a PayPal account or if you're willing to create one, I'm sure you'll have no problem making a donation. And again, I apologize for the, the limitation on that, but we're kind of stuck with them. I've been studying the Majimidikaya lately and read through the Achiriyabhuta Dhamma Sutta, MN123 last night. Can you give me some background on this? This is the first time I've heard of the miraculous signs in the Buddha's birth. His mother gave birth standing up, him coming out with no blood on him, 
and walking seven steps while proclaiming himself the best in the world. It's very miraculous, and I was some, somewhat spellbound by all of it. The main thing that is troubling to me is that it echoes a lot of the stories of Abrahamic prophets, which I totally don't believe in, yet I found myself believing this. Help. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, these are things that are claimed to have been, that they claim and have happened. That's not important for Buddhism. Whether they happened or not is not, uh, it's not an issue for us. I think that's the difference. In uh, the Abrahamic religions or any theistic religion, you're supposed to believe these things, and not believing them is considered to be heresy. That's not the case here. These are things that we have in a book and it says that these happened in the past or these happen every time there's a buddha that's not relevant for us really i mean it is relevant if you if you believe these things it will give you faith and it will make you look up to the buddha and think wow what a wonderful being that is so there's good good aspects to that kind of faith on the other hand if you read it and you you're skeptical about it well that uh, that will have a bad imp impact on you on the other hand you could argue that a person who, who is skeptical about these things, it gives them an opportunity to deal with the, the concept of doubt. You know, when you, when you ha wrestle with something, worry and doubt and, and all these associated emotions, eventually you should get to the point where it doesn't really matter to you whether these things are true or not. It's, it's something someone tells you and you think, oh, well, that's interesting. Like if Jesus walked on water, it's not a big deal to me whether he did or he didn't. What's, what's a problem if people, is if people say, because he walked on water, that means he's God or something like that. You know, they say the Buddha walked on water as well. He never said he was a God. But these claims, claims about something that happened in the past or happens to a Buddha, that kind of thing, they're just, you could look at them as, as historical claims, claims about something that happened. Did it happen? Did it not happen? I don't know. I mean, I'm open to believing it. I tend to believe by default, just but mainly because it doesn't affect me one way or the other. I don't feel the need to scrutinize these things because I'm not going to practice based on them. It's not going to affect my practice, whether they're true or not true. If it did, then I'd want to scrutinize them a little bit closer and see which ones were actually true and which ones were maybe things that were added later on or something like that me this isn't important to me it's more like well you read this and it makes you think wow the buddha was a great person that's enough for me i think he was a great person for sure but uh, i wouldn't worry about these problematic passages because partially you could argue that it's our limitation on on our ability to ex accept um, things that we see as being magical or impossible and partially it's potential exaggeration of the original you know claims so maybe there's a claim that he was mindful when he was born when he was born maybe he could even talk but maybe he didn't walk seven steps and and speak hey maybe he did i wouldn't put it past the buddha the bodhisattva but some other people would doesn't really matter It's interesting to think, you know, if you if you didn't forget everything from your past life, what would you be like it when you were born if you hadn't actually forgotten everything and gotten so disoriented? Well, that's the thing. Is some beings don't. Some kids, babies, are able to do strange things. I mean, apparently, it's very rare, but powerful beings. And kids speak languages they've never been taught or that kind of thing. That's rare nowadays. How beneficial was, is... Sorry, just, just sorry. I was thinking, like, why is it so easy for us to learn language, right? Why can kids learn languages so quickly? You could argue that it might be just remembering the language. Of course, scientists would on that as being ridiculous, but it may be true. Maybe the case that we're just remembering the languages again.
How beneficial is listening to Dhamma talks and reading the Buddhist literature to people who do not practice daily meditation, but try to apply the teachings in life? Not very useful. I mean, comparatively. It'd be a shame if someone did that. It'd be like sitting around reading a roadmap or atlases. You know, if you read an atlas or you read through these uh, picture books about places to visit, not even picture books, it's more like uh, reading descriptions about places, never actually going there. At all, I mean, you want to apply the teachings to your life, like how to be a better person? Great, it'll make you a better person. It's not really all that impressive. So it's beneficial, just not nearly as beneficial as if they actually practice daily meditation. It'd be a shame if someone went that route. And I guess a lot of people do, unfortunately. When you fail to catch an experience and it ceases, is it okay to say, noting, noting? Why would you say noting, noting? Is that what you experienced? You have to be clear. What are, what are we asking you to do? We're asking you to remind yourself about what's happened. What is it that's happening? You weren't just noting. Why would you say noting, noting? I think what you're suggesting is that you want to affirm to yourself that you should be doing something, which is a very, 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 very bad thing to do. Because it becomes a mantra that that tries to control rather than, than remind or observe. Never, ever, ever note something that hasn't just happened. Only ever note something that has just happened. I talked about this, I think, last night. I've seen people go crazy along these lines, temporarily. Not my students, but given the wrong explanation. We had one guy, I showed up at this meditation center, and I think I've talked about this before, and all the, everybody was messed up. I spent six days trying to sort them out. And it maybe sound like I'm full of myself, but I think I really did sort them out. Uh, especially this one guy, he was so off and it was really bizarre. And the first day I didn't understand it, but then the second day I asked him, how do you know? How do you acknowledge? He said, do you acknowledge? I said, do you acknowledge? He said, yes. I said, how do you acknowledge? He said, acknowledge, acknowledge. And he wasn't meditating at all. You know, he wasn't actually being mindful of things. There was, the, there was no connection with what he was saying and, and the experience. So if you fail, you can say knowing because you're at that moment aware that you failed to catch an experience. So just say to yourself, knowing, knowing, knowing that that happened, because that's what you're doing. You're knowing something. You're realizing that you failed to be mindful. So that realizing is what you should focus on. Never, ever, ever try to create something with a mantra. Very, very bad practice. Dangerous. It can be powerful, but it's certainly not what we teach. And it's very dangerous as a practice. Be very clear, that's not what we're doing here. Is it normal to enjoy meditation? For me lately, it's the only enjoyable moment when I sit and watch my breathing. Everything else in life seems so futile. Is there something wrong with me? If I try to enjoy a moment, then the thought always pops into my head that this has an end, and I can literally sense how the smile on my face melts down. Can there be an attachment to meditation? There's no such thing as meditation. Meditation doesn't exist. You have to understand that. What you're attaching to is the happiness. A happy feeling arises. You don't enjoy meditation. There's a happy feeling that arises when you meditate. That happy feeling is something that you enjoy, you like. Um, you like it for a while and then it starts to disappear and it will do that anyway, regardless of whether you think about it or so on. But as soon as you change, and start to think in a new way, the happiness will fade, and because of your liking, you get upset. Um, everything else in life seeming futile, well, that can be based on wisdom. It could also be based on the happy feeling and your attachment to it, so you have to be careful about that. But that, I think you should separate out, and 
and accept the fact that life is futile, life is meaningless, pointless. Doesn't mean you have to get depressed about it. In fact, it should be liberating. It should allow you to free yourself from ambitions, from this must do this, must do that. You don't must do anything. There's no must. Do whatever you want. But be aware that there is a system and there are consequences to your actions. If you work for the betterment of yourself, you'll, you'll, you'll attain happiness. If you work for your detriment, you will suffer. So that's what we do in Buddhism, is we work for our betterment. The fact that you're trying to enjoy a moment, that's a problem. Enjoyment is liking, liking is craving, craving is greed. Greed is the cause of suffering, as you can see, because when it disappears, which it inevitably does, you suffer. And then a question for me on the, the meetings on Sunday. Um, we're planning a volunteer meeting on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, Eastern New York time. And directly after that at 2 p.m. we have our study group where we study the Visuddhimagga. So if anyone is interested, um, we welcome people all the time. And I'll put a, a link on the uh, Meditator Shout box on the website for um, entry into the, the meeting on Sunday. The Visuddhimagga study group is on Mumble, and there's a lot on the website regarding that, if anyone is interested. Be prepared for some hardcore theory. Well, we're just reading, so it's not like it's, but it's hard to understand. So don't expect easy light reading. But I think for our hardcore group that's been at it for over a year now, and I think we all agree, you know, we wouldn't be reading this book on our own. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't be reading it on my own. It's, it's dense. But to read it as a group and to have Bhante's commentary and explanations, it's, you get a lot more out of it, for sure. During my meditation just now, I reached access concentration for the first time in a few months and this time was a little disorienting. I lost control and feeling of my body. The only thing I had was my hearing, so I just kept noting hearing, hearing. Am I supposed to keep noting until eventually all the sense doors are closed? What then? No. No, that's not what you're supposed to. I mean, we don't practice to attain access concentration, not exactly. So if you feel disoriented, you should say disoriented, disoriented. If you feel something that you uh, you associate with what you call access concentration, you should note that as feeling, feeling, or however it appears to you. If you feel calm, you should say calm, calm. Uh, if you feel quiet, you should say quiet, quiet. If you just know that something's different, you can say knowing, knowing that works. But if you feel disoriented, you should say disoriented or... Mm feeling, feeling. And if there's hearing, you can say hearing, hearing. But eventually the rising and falling of the stomach should come back. If not, you can put your hand there and, or you can just say sitting, sitting. But yeah, there are times where you lose track of your body, in which case you can just say hearing, hearing or whatever. But no, you're just supposed to note until they come back. Closing the sense doors wouldn't help you wouldn't get you any closer to Nibbana. Where can people get a printed copy of your booklet? From me, right behind me. Or Sri Lanka. You can go to Sanka in Sri Lanka. He's got a bunch. And this is funny because the question is from Bond, and Bond helped us move. Bond, you probably carried in like three cases of books. When you uh, when you were helping that day, he may not be asking for himself. Maybe he's asking in general. Oh, Maybe that's a good true. question, one yeah. that we should consider. I mean, do we have on the website some? Didn't we say something about if people want one, we'll mail one to them? What we should do is we should um, find some way to give a bunch of the books to someone who can do the mailing, because I really probably can't. But if someone else could, then we could have a special email address or something. And, we could send them out in the mail. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's ask at the volunteer meeting, probably someone in the U.S., so the postage would be a little less complicated because, as, you, if, as you've noticed, most of your followers are in the U.S. So yeah, that would be good. We could send a box to someone and um, reimburse them for postage and so forth, and mm. that would be great. 
For most of my meditation, I cannot clearly feel the rising and falling, so I don't focus on the abdomen, and most of the time, I focus on other experiences happening. Sometimes the rising and falling is clear. Is this the right thing to do? Will I not progress as fast since I'm not focusing on the abdomen as much? Well, when, I mean, no, that, the abdomen's just one example, but by not clear, you have to be clear about what you mean. It's not meant to be stable or, or, or um, you know, um, predictable. The fact that it's unpredictable and changing is really what you're supposed to be seeing. So don't, don't be discouraged just because it's subtle or because it's changing or so on. Don't discard it just because of its nature, because that's really why we're using it. It's a really good object to see impermanent suffering and non-self. Don't, so, so don't, don't uh, misunderstand what you're supposed to see. Um, but that being said, if there are times where it's just not there, uh, you can either put your hand on there or you can just switch to something else. If you, But it's good to have a base. The stomach is a really good base because it is usually there. Um, if it's not, sometimes it's just a sign that you're too stressed and too tense, and over time that will change, that will work itself out. Uh, but you can also just focus on something else, like sitting. Sitting is a good object, the, the feeling of sitting. You know, there's tension there. So you can just say sitting, sitting, that kind of thing. But I wouldn't worry about it. It comes and it goes, and that's what you're supposed to see. You can't control it. I heard, I heard the incense stick was introduced into meditation because of hygiene problems. Back in the old days, the monks would light an incense stick so they would not have to suffer a body odor. And I, I assume the question is, is that true or have you heard of that as well? It's not a question. I think it's a joke. I think this person, I don't know, I'm, I'm suspicious that they're toying with us. It sounds somewhat apocryphal. That this person actually heard that. I actually heard that too, Bhante. You did. I did in a meditation group. Well, incense that, is Buddhist. Incense is sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, that I, it was in a meditation group. I heard the same thing. Well, incense is not Buddhist. It's from Hinduism. So, there's Buddhist monks probably didn't have incense sticks, or you know, why would they have them? I suppose um, people would bring them to the monasteries give them as gifts to the Buddha or gifts to the monks. Um, I think it came, I would imagine it came later as incense sticks actually became more popular in Buddhism and monasteries started to have uh, ample supply. But I would say it's like after the Buddha passed away and much after, because in India, I, I don't, I understand that they didn't, they didn't generally use, they had these like lamp kind of things where they would burn just powdered incense. I don't really know how it works, but they, you know, they have the cones, if you've ever seen those cones that you light. But incense sticks, I think, actually came later. Uh, maybe, maybe, no, maybe they were early on as well, but um, seems like early on, like and still in India today, they don't, I don't think sticks are all that, well, they're not the only way anyway. Maybe that's kind of shared across religions because I remember in Catholic Mass they sort of um, the priests would wave this lamp with a incense mm -hmm. in it. So yeah. maybe that's just something that was done. But to be clear, monks don't. There's nothing about monks having incense. You know, as far as I know, it's not part of a monk um, kutraman or or um, equipment. I don't. I, I, there's something about body odor. You're allowed to use powder if you have strong body odor, but that's about powder, like deodorant. Um, scents, maybe if you've got really strong body odor. I can't remember the vinaya, but generally scents are not allowed. Scents are something that a monk should not engage in. Ganda, it's one of the eight precepts, right? Eight precept people should not have scents. Incense is not a thing. What incense is really useful for? Mosquitoes. And that's what they use it for in Asia. The, the clever people. The monasteries will just light a big bunch of incense outside. If you're sitting outside, you just put incense on it. What works even better is if you light it, you're in the forest and you sweep up all the dead leaves and burn them. And make lots of smoke. and keeps the mosquitoes away. 
It's good to know. Better than the sweet smelling incense, which is intoxicating, right? It's uh, something you're attached to. Isn't criticizing useful to students, Bonte? It gives an opportunity to look inward and notice one's weakness, especially if one is looking, always looking for sweetness and praises and clinging to one's question as my question. Maybe, but uh, you know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. It's always better to try to do try the, the nice way first. I think some teachers take advantage of that, what you're saying and, and uh, be, be mean all the time and saying it's for your own good. And it's not really, it's much better to be nice. And it's harder to be nice. It's easier to be cranky. <laughs> I mean, it's more noble to be nice. And for most of us, that's difficult. So nobility is you know, better. But yeah, of course, sometimes you have to be, you have to be downright nasty sometimes. Well, you have to be harsh sometimes. I think my questions are jokes I won't ask anymore. Well, it sounded like a joke to me. It sounded bizarre to me that it would be used for body odor. I don't think your questions are jokes. I don't I don't concern myself with the person who asked the question. Yeah, but I did hear that too. The other thing I heard about incense was it was uh, useful for teaching people about I don't know, things going from one form to another. It's, you know, it's this incense stick and then it's smoke and then it's ashes. And yeah. well, that's, you know, that's very uh, abstract. It's a, sort of a Mahayana idea or a, that's a folk Buddhist idea. There's a lot of folk Buddhist ideas that people talk about and put into practice. It's not deep Buddhism, you know, symbolism. Symbolism is, it's not the Buddhism I practice. Uh, I mean, everything is arising and ceasing. You don't need tools or props for it. I apologize. Yes. If I, I didn't mean to suggest that all this person's questions are jokes, but it sounded like a joke to me, so I apologize for condescending. But it could have been, you know, someone could come on here and some of the people come on here, they tell jokes. I'm not offended by them, but I am contemplating not same, not different. Do you have any suggestions to look more deeply into this? Thank you. No. Sounds like a sophism. Oh, there I go criticizing again. Or is that a cone? No, it's, it's it's sounding clever. Don't don't make things more complicated. Reality is very simple. If something is different. It's different. If something is same. It's same. Not same. Not different is just messing with your mind. Yeah, it's fun because it forced. You know, they say these things force you to let go because they don't have an answer. How could something be not same and not different? It's either the same or it's different. I'm sorry, but my Buddhism is boring, dull. There's nothing exciting about what I teach. If you're looking for that, you have to go somewhere else. But fortunately, in, in our favor, reality itself is quite exciting. So when you start to close your eyes and do this boring, dull practice, it turns out to be quite exciting. The boredom itself is quite exciting. If you have to deal with boredom for hours and hours on end a day, there's a lot of fireworks that are going to come out of that. Sorry. All right, enough. Now that I made a complete jerk of myself. No. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, as we're reading questions, it's it's actually really hard to tell because sometimes people are fooling around. You can't you can't tell that much from uh, from mm -hmm. text. So 
why we use emoticons so much. Good point. Don't take anything I say. Don't take those kind of things too seriously. Criticism is good. Criticism is great. You know, it's great to be criticized. This is a Buddhist philosophy. Uh, look for criticism. Find people who will criticize you. If someone criticizes you, uh, be happy that you found such a person. Think of them as a, the Buddha said, think of them as a person who points out buried treasure. It's important not only because of that, but it's important because of what a strong reaction we have, right? How angry we get when people criticize us. Any, any, any aspect of our life that's like that, that makes it, gives us a strong reaction, is exactly where we should focus our effort, because that's exactly why we're meditating. That's exactly what we're trying to change. So don't run away from that. Look for people to criticize you. Look for people to tick you off. Look for people to upset you. And then learn not to be upset about it. To some extent. I mean, no, don't go out of your way looking for people. But that's probably going too far. But accept it. You know, be happy when you get a chance to train yourself, to better yourself, to rise above this, to change your behavior, change your attitude, change your reactions to things. It's a great opportunity. If you're just surrounded by people who love you and treat you nicely, what will you learn? It's not actually true because you can learn the same things. You sit in meditation, it all comes out anyway. But um, there's nothing wrong with being criticized. And I guess the best thing to say about it is, not what I've been saying, but the best thing to say about it is um, when someone criticizes you, how you should see it is sound that you, pro that you process and that you react to. And the you isn't the important part, but that there is the sound, there is the uh, processing, the receiving, there is the processing, and then there's the reacting. That's how you should look at it. Not this person criticized me. Forget about the person. They don't even exist anyway. That's how you should look at it. If I call you, if I say your questions are you know, terrible, you're an idiot, what are you doing asking these dumb questions all the time? Forget about me. You know, who am I? What am I? I don't even exist. Look at yourself. Because you're going to meet with people like that. People who ridicule you. People who attack you. Buddha said, you, you will meet with people who speak in a timely manner and an untimely manner, who speak pleasant words, who speak unpleasant words, who tell you the truth, who lie. You're going to meet with all types of people, all types of speech. That's the truth. And so how you deal with it is the most important thing. Not, not what you hear, but how you react to it. Someone calls you a buffalo, well, my teacher says, if someone calls you a buffalo, turn around and see if you got a tail. You don't have a tail, you're not a buffalo. Buffalo is the worst insult you can give to someone in Thailand. Don't call a Thai person a buffalo. Bhante, do you have time for one more question? Sure. What do you recommend for letting go of extremes? Hmm. Well, they're harder. You know, if you have an extreme of anything, it's harder than a moderate attachment. Um, if you go to extremes or, or say you bounce back and forth between extremes, I guess it depends how extreme they are. If you're just talking about opposites or if you're actually talking about extreme attachments or aversions, um, that's the only thing I could say about that because besides that it's just experiences I guess another point is not to see things as extreme not to see things as bouncing back and forth past and future don't exist all that is real is the present moment so whatever you're in right now it's not extreme, it's what it is and judging it as extreme is already a problem potentially I mean, it's already going too far. If you're angry, it doesn't matter how angry you are. It's just anger. 
you're stressed, it's just stressed, stress. If you're happy, it's just happiness. It doesn't matter how much or how little. I like that. If you're not thinking about the past or the future, then you have nothing to compare it to, so it wouldn't ever seem extreme. Mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. Well, you could still judge it if it seems uh, overbearing. But you're right. You'd need something generally to compare it to. But, but you can still, like if it's if it's more than you can handle, that's how you consider it. You shouldn't. Because there's no such thing as more than you can handle. If, if it's causing reactions in you, then you should note those reactions as well. That's the, the beauty of this is that you can handle anything. You're welcome. Glad to be of help. That's what this is all about, helping. Believe it or not, that's what we're trying to do here, is help people. Okay, someone posted a link to a picture. Have you seen this picture, Robin? I have, yes. Is that really someone made that? That's not a photograph? Yes, you see with a Wacom tablet. I don't know what that means. Photoshop? PC? Creative? Kit? Creative? Must be from a photograph. That's not a photograph. That's really impressive. Staring at pictures of oneself, always a good thing. All right. If you have more questions, then uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Bhante. Good night. 62 viewers. Wow, that's a record. Good night, everyone.